Well, good morning. Welcome to our service today. Um, I last Sunday we were um, blessed with having John Martin here to share, and um, I'm starting to pick back up in the Sermon on the Mount. And he last week talked about the Lord's Prayer um, with the text from the Sermon on the Mount as well. So. Um, but we're going to be kind of taking a little bit different um, approach. I feel like the Lord's Prayer is that little pocket in there that kind of breaks some of the other um, kind of themes in the Sermon on the Mount. And we had already, in our journey through the Sermon on the Mount, um, talked about the Lord's Prayer. And then, um, so we're going to kind of move into the next section of the Sermon on the Mount, which is. Um, in chapter 7. So what I wanted to do to start out is to take a moment, and it's been a little bit of time since we've been studying the Sermon um, on the Mount, the first um, sermons that I had done. So I wanted to take some time to review where we have been, and then as we get into a new section, kind of what the change in tone and um, kind of viewpoint is in this next section, which is going to be chapter 7 through the end of the chapter. Though I will point out today we are primarily going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. So um, with that being said, the Sermon on the Mount starts with a blessing and a calling. And we know we're start, we start with the Beatitudes and you know the blessing. And then we move into a calling in verse um, in chapter 5 to be the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So we're given this calling of um, being that light in the world. And as I think about that first part of chapter 5, it's exciting. It's, um, you know, it feels good. And then... Jesus introduces this concept that he is coming to complete the law and the prophets, not to take away from. And so we work through all of those different aspects in our lives, how when Jesus comes, he changes us from the inside out, and that, you know, it's going to affect every aspect of our lives. We're going to treat our wives differently. We're going to, um, when we you know, have disagreements with people, we're not going to retaliate. Um, all these different areas. So we have this change. And he's raised the bar higher um, than it was before, but really focusing on the heart and what is what has changed in our heart and the motivation behind it. And then that idea that that motivation is going to radiate out into all these different aspects and lots of practical applications that we've talked about. And so, and then we obviously have the Lord's Prayer in there um, and, you know, lots of other things, just kind of reviewing this, so not going to get into those details. But if you think about this, what is a problem that we could run into as we have raised the bar? Well, 
my human nature is, if I have a higher bar, it's more stuff for us to judge and condemn. So, and we also have this really squishy thing, um, which is motivation and what is in our heart. And so now we have a higher bar that we've raised, and all of a sudden we could start to try to judge motivation. And, you know, this could really spiral out of control. And Jesus, in the next, in chapter 7, addresses that. He talks about, you know, what do we do with the hard reality of life? That we're going to fall short of, you know, all of these things that he's laid out. And there's going to be a tendency to judge and to condemn and, um, you know, cause division, cause strife. And how do we relate among each other? And so today, we are going to be looking at the first section of Jesus talking about how do we, how do we actually put this in practice and interact with each other. Um, so, I'm going to start with reading the text for today, and then I want to dig a little bit into defining three words, and then we're going to work through primarily looking at the first seven verses, but we will address the um, remaining verses for today. So, starting at Matthew 7, judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look at the plank in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they, be trample, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you in pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened." Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give, you, give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets." So, a powerful passage, and um, we start off with this word, judge. And the root word for this word, judge, I want to dig into a little bit, because it's really important to understand what we're talking about when we say judge. And it comes from the word that would be kind of, I guess, Greek word, I think this is, anyway, I'm really bad with my languages, but the root word that from the original text would be 
Crino, and it's, if I'm probably not saying that right, but it's spelled K-R-I-N-O. And much like the word in our language, judge, it's a word that can mean a lot of different things and is probably, is somewhat of a, a bad word to use when we mean a very specific thing. Um, and so I want us to think about this word and kind of three words that we sometimes use or we would use the word judge um, instead of. So the first is the word decide. So I can say, I made the judgment, or I judge, that I want to take this route to church versus that route because I made that decision. So that's a decision. So if I would ask you, and this is not a rhetorical question, we can do a show of hands, do you like peanut butter pie or apple pie? Who likes peanut butter pie better than apple pie? So, uh, sorry, clarify that. Peanut butter pie better than apple pie. Okay, who likes apple pie better than peanut butter pie? That's a decision. You have decided something. So, that is one way that the word judge is used. There's a second way that the word judge is used, and that is to compare or measure up against something. So you have a measuring stick, and you are saying, you know, think you're going to take a ride somewhere, and there's a measuring stick, and you have to be at least this tall to go on the ride. Well, that is also judging. So an example of that is recently my wife's twin sister hosted, or at their church picnic, they had a pie competition where all the ladies, I guess men, I don't know, all made pies, and they, and her father was invited to come down, and he dressed up in a top hat and, uh, you know, tuxedo, and he came down, he was the judge of the pie-eating contest. Well, he had a rubric where he judged 1 through 10 on how good the crust was, 1 through 10 on how good the bake was, and they went through this measuring stick of how to judge the pies. Well, interesting enough, at the end of the contest, and then they added up all the points, there were two pies that had the exact same number of points. Well, what did he do? He went back and he judged those two pies over again with the same rubric, and when they went through, they compared all the different things and said, well, this one pie, the crust was a little bit better. So according to the rubric, the, that pie won. So we have judgment, and that is to compare or measure against something. And then there's a final way that this word is used, and that is the idea of condemning. And, um, I mean, we know what condemning is, but 
you know, it's when we are almost punishing or punishing for an action. So we've condemned something. And we'll just make a hypothetical example in this pie story. Say there was a young girl who was making her first pie, and she didn't know what she was doing, and she got sugar and salt mixed up. And let's just be clear, this did not happen. Um, although we've all done this at some point or experienced this. Um, and so she brings her pie to the pie contest, and my father-in-law takes a big bite of the pie. It looks good, and his mouth is full of salt, and it is disgusting. He spits it out, and he says, you are banned from all pie contests forever and ever in the life of this church. Well, that is condemnation. That little girl can never enter another pie-eating contest. Now, whether that was fair or not is not really the point, but that is what we're talking about by condemning. So, three ways that the word judge can be used, and it's all the same word. So as we enter into verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. So I'm going to propose to you that we're using the word condemn, and that that is what we're talking about here, not the idea of a decision. He's not saying, don't make any decisions, and he's likely not, well, and I think we know in context, he's not saying we never, you know, compare things to the scripture and say this is right or wrong. We're talking about condemnation. So, condemn not that you not be condemned. Or is that warning that if we go back to all of these things that he's gone over in the last chapters and say, you know, are you doing that? Are you doing that? And then we pass judgment on our fellow brothers and sisters. We are putting ourselves in a spot that we should not. And I want to unpack a little bit more why are we putting ourselves, why is that such a significant problem when we do this? In verse 2, we start to get into the why. For with what judgment you judge, you will also be judged. And the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So we're introducing this idea, but that, you know, whatever ruler you use, that's going to be also used on you. But that's also true. We understand that, you know, the Bible should be our ruler. So there's something bigger at play here. And he, I think we start to see that in verses 3 through, um, through 5. And that is the idea that when we are judging or condemning, we have a large beam, 
And I think Jesus is bringing some humor into this or, you know, some shock and awe. You know, we talk about a little splinter, and he's saying, well, when you have um, a splinter, you know, when you're, when you're trying to pull out the splinter, you know, you have this big beam. And, you know, first take that beam out of your own eye, and then you can deal, help your brother. Well, what is this splinter? And I'd like us to think a little bit about, about this and why this is such a big issue. So if we think about condemning, who can condemn? Well, God can condemn. He's the person who ultimately can judge. And so when we start to judge, if we think about, you know, God's up here or here, and we are over here, and God is, you know, the, the ruler and the measuring stick for our lives, and we, and then, you know, he also is the person who will ultimately judge us. When we start to issue condemnation, not just shining light on what is right and wrong, when we, we move ourselves up here with God, and we are judging our brothers. And by default, that is saying we are God's equals, and um, you know we're separating ourselves and putting us in the place of God. And I'm going to propose, and this is... There's lots of interpretations of this, but, and again, separating out the idea of condemnation versus, you know, clearly saying right and wrong. Those are two separate things. We have to be careful about condemning, you know, issuing condemnation and judging the heart. That is God's place. And so there's an aspect of this where he's calling out when we are doing that, we have this giant beam in our own eye, and we're trying to remove a splinter. I also think there's a side of this where he's just saying, you know, make sure your life is in the right spot before you start to, you know, share with others. So there's layers of this. Um, so... And I think an example of this is just, in D.C., we have these vans that drive around, and they'll have like a van front, and then they'll have a billboard that'll be down the back. And they'll say things on them like, if you are doing this, you are going to and they often have graphic pictures and maybe music that plays or a voice saying, you know, something or another over a loudspeaker. And they're, you drive by them or they drive by you and you're just like, this is, there's something not right here. And, and you know, you know, there's also, you'll see the people with the sandwich boards that say that. You know, there's all these things, and you're like, there's something not right here. And that's the feeling that I get when 
I'm reading this, um, is, you know, there's just something not right, and it's this out of order or out of place. We've create, we're trying to put ourselves in a position that we should not be, and we're using tactics that destroy and don't build up. So moving on to verse 6, and this is kind of a random verse that is thrown in, um, and it feels a little bit just kind of, well, what's it, you know, what's its point here? And I want to kind of backtrack a little bit. So Jesus is actually working, and he's using these little short examples. Um, you know, the plank in your eye when, with your brother's splinter. Um, now we're going into pearls before swine. And then we're going to also move into a couple examples of, um, you know, gifts that you would give to different people. So he's using these little parables to push home a point. And that's pretty much the rest of, a lot of the rest of the chapter here. But, um, so he has this little example. Do not give to what, it, what is holy to dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you into you into pieces. And I think it's just a reminder after all of this is simply, you know, be mindful. Let's use appropriate things to the right people. Um, and, you know, you can take it a lot of different ways. That's the way I'm reading this. You know, after all of this, make sure we're, you know, we're doing things in an, like to the right people and don't, don't waste time on things that are out of, you know, out of the lane of, you know, where it's going to be beneficial. So then I think we're moving into a question. What should we do instead of condemning? And in verse 7, it starts with, my take, one of my big takeaways from reading this passage, rather than judging and condemning, we should be seeking and Jesus will answer. So, verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open. Jesus gives us several examples then of what this looks like and his heart for us. And the first is this idea of, you know, if we're going to visit somebody and we pull into their driveway and we just sit in our car and they don't know we're there, we're going to stay in our car. We have to get out of our car and knock on the door and then they can open the door and, you know, we can have dinner with them or whatever. And you know, Jesus is reminding us so often we're sitting in our car and wondering why we're not being fed. And he's saying, get out of your car. Knock on the door. Seek. Put a little effort into it. And I will, I will answer this abundantly. And then he gives a couple examples. He says, what's my heart? And the example is, you know, your child asks you for food. 
you don't hand him a rock. You give him something that he's asking for that will benefit him, that will nourish him. And, you know, same thing. You know, your child asked for a fish. You don't hand him a serpent. You know, you're not going to give him something that would bite him or hurt him. No, Jesus is going to respond if we seek with answering those desires of our heart. And then in 11, he says, If then, being evil, knowing how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And I think so often I forget that I'm called to seek and to learn the me- like how to measure my life. And, you know, also be able to share that with others. I'm not called to just, you know, live a passive life. And, you know, we often hear the term, well, don't judge so you, don't be, you aren't judged. And it's that idea of, well, nothing matters. We are called to seek the truth, seek scripture, but, and God will reveal that to us. But, and it's because it's out of that love in his heart. And then, finally, we move into verse 12, which says, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And I think it's just a very fitting way to kind of go full circle on this idea of judge not, that you not be judged. And then in verse 12, the idea of kind of, you know, a spin on the golden rule, you know, do unto others as you would have them do to you. And as we look at what Jesus is commanding us, he is commanding us to to actually, you know, have a rubric and to you know, create some level of judgment as in we are going to judge things against his scriptures, his word. But we're not called to condemn others. That is for him to do. And my challenge to all of us today is that we are called to seek truth and that God wants to give us those good things. And... With that, I just want to take a moment and turn to James chapter 5 and read. And I'll just say, if you're ever studying the Sermon on the Mount, James is a wonderful book to read in parallel with that. Um, I just feel like there's a lot of kind of just unpacking the Sermon on the Mount farther if we you know, look into that. And a challenge for this congregation is, do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth at the door. And if we look at that word judge, it's a capital, it's a capital, capitalized, with the idea that God is that judge. And so as we interact with each other, as a congregation, as brothers and sisters, rather than grumble 
at each other. Remember who's standing at the door and who ultimately will judge us and each of our brothers and sisters here. So thank you for the time, and I'll turn the time back to Ivan.